0: Well, hello there, everybody. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 143, and today we will be talking about anaphylaxis. Before we get into that, you guys, I have a huge, exciting announcement. So I just want to let you know that we have hit two million downloads, which is huge. So you may remember a while back, actually, not that long ago, we hit 1 million downloads, which was in my mind, just the hugest, biggest milestone. And then lickety split, we hit 2 million. So when we hit 1 million, we did this special episode and a giveaway and all this really fun stuff. So for this celebration, we will be doing giveaways over on Instagram. So if you aren't following me yet, check out my Insta, which is at straight a nurse. So there'll be information on that today. And then every Thursday when the podcast goes up about how to enter to get into our special 2 million downloads Giveaway event. And then we will do the drawings and announcements on the Saturday after that initial Thursday post. So go check it out on Instagram at Straight A Nurse and help us celebrate. So thanks again to everyone who rates, reviews, downloads, subscribes, listens, shares the podcast. As usual, let's take a moment to do a quick listener shout out since we're on the subject of sharing the podcast love. And this listener shout out goes out to Back who took the time to write this thoughtful review. Straight A nursing is essential for every nursing student and even practicing RNs. I listen to the podcast daily as I get ready for work or am traveling for school. Nurse Mo is so knowledgeable and really helps make the information memorable. Plus she is fun. I tell every student I meet about her because I believe I am surviving this nursing school adventure with passing grades and a little less stress because of her. Nurse Mo, thank you for all your your hard work, time, and caring personality. Beck, thank you so, so, so much. I love that you enjoy the podcast and that you have fun listening to it. I definitely have fun creating them for you guys. So today we are diving into anaphylaxis and anaphylaxis, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. But just a quick recap is that it is a life threatening hypersensitivity reaction that occurs immediately or very, very shortly after Exposure to an antigen. So that antigen could be medication, it could be blood products, it could be a food like peanuts, is really common, insect stings such as bee venom, latex, and contrast dye. And because anaphylaxis can quickly be fatal, it's absolutely crucial that you understand A, how to recognize it, and B, how to intervene appropriately. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So first, let's just chat briefly about what actually happens in anaphylaxis. So in a general sense, anaphylaxis um, involves that hypersensitivity reaction. And that occurs when an individual has been sensitized against an antigen. Some people, you know, they'll take multiple exposures to build up a noticeable hypersensitivity reaction, whereas other people will have that hypersensitivity reaction after just a single exposure. Once sensitization has developed, then the individual develops that reaction whenever they are exposed. Anaphylaxis is that severe, severe hypersensitivity reaction to an antigen. You may also hear people say anaphylaxis and anaphylactic shock kind of interchangeably, but really... What occurs with anaphylactic shock is that the reaction of anaphylaxis has dropped the blood pressure. This reaction is so severe that the blood pressure has dropped so low that it cannot support organ perfusion. So that's when we say the patient has anaphylactic shock. Though just be aware that you may hear the terms used interchangeably, they're not exactly the same thing. Anaphylaxis can lead to anaphylactic shock. So, how does all of this happen? So, in anaphylaxis, mast cells release biochemical mediators in response to, again, exposure to an antigen. And this leads to all kinds of things in the body, namely systemic vasodilation. So think about vasodilation and what that does to your blood pressure, increased permeability, of the capillary membrane. So think about what that does to your intravascular volume. So that fluid from that intravascular space, if there's leaky or increased permeability at that membrane, that fluid leaks out, we lose volume, we drop blood pressure. And then we have increased mucus secretion Anytime with any disease condition, you guys, if you hear increased mucus production, secretion, whatever, I want you to think airway, think airway clearance, think airway narrowing, think um, airway closure, think about mucus plugs, think about airway, 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 okay? We also get bronchoconstriction, again, another airway. We get laryngeal edema, okay? airway. We also get coronary vessel vasoconstriction. So the heart's not going to be getting perfused as well. We have cutaneous reactions. That's all the skin signs, the hives, the itching, and then smooth muscle vasoconstriction that affects the GI tract, the bladder, and even the uterus. So in other words, the signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis are kind of widespread and definitely potentially life threatening so why is anaphylaxis potentially fatal so death due to anaphylaxis can occur for multiple reasons essentially airway obstruction cardiovascular system collapse or in a lot of cases a combination of both so again that systemic vasodilation and that increased capillary membrane they're both going to lead to massive fluid shifts We then have hypovolemia, that intravascular space becomes depleted. We get hypovolemia. You have then decreased venous return, decreased cardiac output, and you guessed it, significant hypotension. And then that coronary vasoconstriction, that's going to decrease oxygen delivery to the heart. And the effects of this are compounded by the tachycardia that goes along with anaphylaxis. So not only does the heart have decreased oxygen delivery, it also has increased oxygen demands, and you guys, that's a bad combo right there. Airway edema can completely occlude the airway, you know, and that can be compounded by that mucus production, that mucus accumulation, and this can lead to respiratory failure and arrest. So absolute immediate action is necessary in order for your patient to have the best possible chance for their best possible positive outcome. So let's talk now about the signs and the symptoms, what you're going to see and notice about a patient who is having an anaphylactic reaction. So the hallmark signs of anaphylaxis, to remember these, I find it's best to kind of break them up into categories. So we'll talk about them in categories. So mucous membranes and skin. So the patient will have itching, they'll have hives, you might see flushing, um, you know, turning red at the face, the chest would be the most common areas, the neck, swollen lips, swollen tongue. Okay, so think mucous membrane um, signs and symptoms with that. With the respiratory system, shortness of breath. You could hear wheezes. They could be so loud you may not even need your stethoscope to hear them. Bronchospasm, airway closure. Okay, that would be a bad one. Strider. Strider scares the heck out of me. I work in the recovery room now, and I worked in the ICU for many, many years. And so anytime a patient's been recently extubated, we have to watch out for Strider. And whenever it would happen, it would just scare the pants off of me. So, Strider is definitely a sign that the airway is massively compromised. Hypoxemia. So, you're watching the SPO2 and it's probably going to be low. They may also be coughing. You know, that airway gets irritated. So, there's a cough. Their voice may just be hoarse. So the quality of their voice could change. You may hear a hoarseness to that. And you could hear rails and bronchi. So a lot of respiratory system signs and symptoms. GI signs and symptoms are vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain and cramping. For genitourinary, the patient could have incontinence, could have vaginal bleeding. Neurologically, the patient may complain of a headache, dizziness, They could have convulsions, decreased level of consciousness can definitely occur, or restlessness with that. Cardiovascular wise, you're looking at tachycardia, you're looking at hypotension, maybe initially some hypertension because of the tachycardia. But as that systemic vasodilation occurs, those leaky capillary membranes happen, then hypotension results. And then miscellaneous things, the patient may say they have chills, rigor, lumbar pain, diaphoresis, you may see some of that, and they may just say, I feel really warm. Okay, so those are the general signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis. So your job is to recognize when that is happening and intervene quickly and appropriately. So everything we do in anaphylaxis treatment is aimed at supporting the airway, maximizing ventilation, and ensuring adequate circulation. So again, prompt identification and immediate treatment. So this includes, A, if an infusion is running, like let's say you just hung an antibiotic and the patient starts having an anaphylactic reaction, you're going to stop whatever infusion is running because that's likely your culprit, okay? So stop the infusion immediately. Then we'll be administering that epinephrine. And we're going to talk about epinephrine more in just a bit. So put a pin in that one. Providing supplemental oxygen to the patient who needs it. Definitely want to do that. You may need to support ventilation and you may need to support it aggressively. This patient may require intubation. Again, think about that systemic vasodilation, that hypotension. These patients will need fluid boluses to keep their blood pressure up. You also want to flush whatever is in their system out. So a fluid bolus of one to two liters is not abnormal, would be very normal for a patient in anaphylaxis. Again, those fluids are going to help support uh, cardiac output, support blood pressure and flush the antigen from the patient's system. Other medications, in addition to the epinephrine that may be given and are often given are diphenhydramine and that blocks the histamine response. And solumedrol is given to prevent a delayed reaction and help stabilize those capillary membranes. Medications to actually support the blood pressure may also be needed. These can include inotropic agents like dopamine or dobutamine, as well as vasopressors such as norepinephrine. Positioning the patient with their legs elevated will help promote venous return. However, your patient may feel they have to sit up in order to facilitate effective ventilation. So you're going to be obviously assessing the patient to see what they can tolerate when you're intervening and helping them. Okay, I said we'd talk about epinephrine. And yes, let's definitely do that because not all epinephrine is the same you guys. So when I was a new grad, I was in a residency program. And one of the really cool things we did was simulation. So we learned a lot from going to these really high tech simulation um, events. And in one of the simulation scenarios that I went to, it was an anaphylaxis reaction scenario. And we're going through the whole thing and we're doing really good. And we note that he's having some kind of crazy reaction to the, I think it was an antibiotic that was hanging. And we stopped the infusion. We supported his oxygenation. And then we went to grab the epinephrine and wouldn't you know it. We grabbed the wrong one and (laughs) we give the epinephrine, and the heart rate goes sky high. And the patient basically, I think he codes. I don't know. It was just, it was a great scenario and it was a great lesson because if you're going to fail, absolutely fail in simulation lab, right? Um, We had grabbed the wrong epinephrine. So there are different types of epinephrine. It comes in two concentrations. So you have to be very clear which one you are using and through which route you are administering it. Don't be like us. You're going to do better. So you'll learn from my mistakes, you guys. So there's IM intramuscular epinephrine. And this used to be labeled as a 1 and 1000 concentration. I believe they have taken that labeling off because it was massively confusing for people. It contains one milligram per mil. Okay, because the reason it was so confusing is the other epinephrine, the IV epinephrine was labeled as one to 10,000. And it was just a lot of zeros. And it was confusing. And in an emergency, as you can see from my simulation example, it's really easy to grab the wrong one. So intramuscular, IM epinephrine, previously labeled as one to 1000. And I'm just telling you that because Maybe there's an old test, an old assessment that still has that language in it. I want you to understand it. Know definitely that IM epinephrine contains one milligram per mil. That's the concentration. The recommended dose is 0.01 milligrams per kilogram with a max dose of 0.5 milligrams. So if you know your patient weighs at least 50, kilograms, you're giving that 0.5 milligram dose, right? So you don't necessarily always have to do all that math on the fly. So if your patient weighs 50 kilograms or more, they're going to get that max dose of 0.5 milligrams because it is 0.01 milligrams per kilogram. That IM epinephrine is what we use in mild cases of anaphylaxis. However, if the patient is in anaphylactic shock, typically what's going to be done is they'll jump straight to the IV route of epinephrine. So IV epinephrine, again, previously labeled as one in 10,000 concentration, and it contains 0.1 milligrams per mil. It is to be given only in cases of severe anaphylaxis causing that life-threatening, airway obstruction, or hypotension. It is often given after an IM injection. So sometimes we'll give the IM injection first. And if it's not producing the desired result, then we jump to that IV epinephrine. Then what you might see is first the IM epinephrine and then an IV epinephrine infusion. However, again, if the patient is on the verge of that cardiovascular collapse, then they're going to get a IV bolus. Not super super fast, it's considered a slow IV bolus, and then that would be followed by that continuous infusion. So, these patients getting IV epinephrine will always need to be in that critical care environment and on continuous monitoring of their heart rate, their blood pressure, and their respiratory status. So at this point, you might be thinking, what does epinephrine do in the body? So I'm so glad you asked that. So recall that epinephrine is an alpha-beta agonist. So it's going to act on that autonomic nervous system. It's going to increase heart rate. It's going to increase contractility and thereby increase cardiac output. It's also going to cause the blood vessels to vasoconstrict And that increases total peripheral resistance and increases blood pressure. Its action on beta-2 receptors results in powerful bronchodilation, which supports the patient's respiratory status. So you can see how it's kind of the perfect drug to combat anaphylaxis. So you've got a patient who's had an anaphylactic reaction you've given medications, how are you going to continue to monitor them? So when your patient has that reaction, you definitely need to be monitoring them very closely for any signs of continued or delayed hypersensitivity response. So monitor their respiratory status. Listen for wheezing. Listen for coughing. Watch for strider. Listen for reduced airflow. Watch how they breathe. Are they having any increased work of breathing? Hopefully, their work of breathing improves as that epinephrine does its work. Uh, You're going to be monitoring their SpO2. Is it improving? Is it dropping? Is it just not coming up? No matter what you do, you're on top of this. Any increased respiratory rate would also be a cause for concern. You want to watch for those skin signs, those hives, that itching to see if they return. Keep an eye out for any swelling of the face the neck, the tongue, this is very, very worrisome for airway closure, and of course, monitoring their heart rate and their blood pressure. And then one of the things you want to make sure that happens before the patient leaves your care is that you go into the electronic medical record and you update the patient's allergies so that a lot of times like in the the EMR that we use, you can go in and Um, choose the medication that the patient is allergic to, the type of reaction that they have, and the severity of that. So you would want to make sure that that is in there. And then you want to make sure that the patient is educated on this is the medication that caused you to have this reaction. And, you know, that may also need to be a conversation with the MD or the pharmacist because a lot of times, if a patient has a reaction to a certain type of medication, they could have a cross sensitivity reaction to others. So they need to be aware of what types of medications could cause them to, again, have another severe reaction like this. And depending on the allergen, like if it's something that the patient could come across in their everyday life, such as, you know, a food allergy or the bee venom allergy they may need to carry that auto injector, that EpiPen device. So let's sum this up real quick. You're too long. Didn't listen. Here it is. Anaphylaxis is a severe hypersensitivity reaction that can be quickly life-threatening. Common signs and symptoms are hives, itching, wheezing, cough, tachycardia, hypotension. I'll say that again because it's super important. Hives, itching, wheezing, cough, tachycardia, hypotension. Treatment includes epinephrine, fluids, Benadryl, corticosteroids. Interventions include oxygen, ventilation support, positioning the patient with their legs elevated to promote venous return, though important to note, The position may need to be to support respiratory function. The patient may assume a position of comfort with their breathing. And monitor patient for respiratory compromise and airway closure. Keep a close eye on their vital signs, especially their heart rate and their blood pressure. So there you have it, guys, your down and dirty guide to anaphylaxis and how you, the amazing nurse and future nurse, are going to respond quickly and keep your patient very, very safe. And then next week, we are talking about burnout, how to recognize that it's sneaking up on you and what you as a student nurse or a new nurse can do about that. So again, thank you to everyone who has helped us reach 2 million downloads. That is just amazing. Again, go check out my Instagram if you want to get in on the weekly giveaways for the next several weeks as we celebrate this huge milestone. And if you want to be on that listener shout out, then Simply rate and review this podcast and you may be the next person that I talk about on here. And if you're not getting the Straight A Nursing podcast automatically downloaded to your mobile device, what's going on? All you have to do is subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix. So I will see you guys here next week when we talk about burnout, the signs of it, and what you can do about it. See you then. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.